Luke chapter 1, beautiful passage uh, that the Bean Blossoms read for us. So let's turn there, Luke chapter 1, Luke 1. That song is just so appropriate for our time in the Word this morning. I told Doug after I saw that that song had been chosen, I, I had to rewrite the introduction to this message. The song is praising God until my voice is gone. Love that. Praising God until my voice is gone. Our scripture today, though, is about a man whose voice is gone until he's praising God. <laughs> and that's so appropriate. We're talking about a man who regained his voice because he had a reformation that took place in his heart and life. Things were reformed in his heart and life, and so he regained his voice that he lost, regained his faith as well. And he had this reformation because he experienced what we're going to be talking about here in this season. He experienced a, an advent interruption, or we could call it a Christmas interruption. Uh, his life was interrupted by the incredible reality of the advent of the Messiah and the part he and his family would pray in that and play in that rather. So his life was an ordinary life, this man we're going to look at, but he experienced a extraordinary transformation. And how many of you know this morning that God loves and is always doing the extraordinary with the ordinary? And don't we thank him for that? This man was moved from practicing his religion. You could not be more faithful in practicing religion than this man. But because of this Interruption in his life by the reality of God and God's plan of redemption. He went from practicing his religion to proclaiming his Redeemer. And there's a big difference in practicing religion and having a life that proclaims the glory of our Redeemer. Now, this man's name is Zacharias. Zacharias. Turn to Luke chapter 1, if you would. Zacharias means God remembers. That's what Zechariah means, Zacharias. God remembers. And Zacharias' story has been recorded in the word of the Lord so that we can learn lessons about our God we will never forget but always remember. So God takes the experience of this servant Zacharias, whose very name means God remembers, and he had forgotten in some ways how faithful God is to remember his people. But there are lessons in this story that I want us to see that are about our God to cause us in this season of our life, perhaps, and maybe this morning in a special way, that God would grant us, maybe even as we have come to practice our religion, to have an encounter this morning with the living God that we'll never forget. Now, 
way I'd like to look at this story, it's lengthy in terms of how many verses are used. But there are several lessons that I want us to see. The first I want you to see is this, that God's silence is not God's absence. God's silence is not God's absence. Now, when you open in your Bible Luke chapter 1 and you begin to read these events, there has been experienced by the people of Israel what we could call 400 silent years. Between the last page of the Old Testament and the first page of the New Testament, 400 years. And they really are 400 silent years in a a sense because in those 400 years, God does not raise up a prophetic voice. He does not raise up a prophetic voice or give an inspired prophetic word. 400 years. Ten or more generations. And God, as far as his prophetic word is concerned, is silent. Now God, as far as the prophetic word, was silent, but God was working. God's silence is not God's absence. And let me tell you something about our God. He is always working. He finished his work of creation. He ceased from it. But God never has ceased working. Our God is always working. And so even in these 400 years, God had been working. He had been working, preserving his people. The Jewish people had been carried away into exile. They had been brought back into Israel, and the land of Israel had literally been a freeway of war, despots, and incredible turmoil for these many centuries. And it ran right through the heart of the land of Israel, but God preserved his people. Another thing God was doing during these silent years, he was preserving his word. It was during these 400 years that the copies of God's Word were being written. Hundreds and thousands of copies of God's message being written. He was preserving His Word. As a matter of fact, He was preserving His Word in a way that the whole world would be able to share it because He led some of His scribes, 70 of them, to translate the Jewish scriptures into the language of Greek, spoken by the whole world. God was preserving his word, and he was preparing the world for the coming of the incarnate word. He was preserving the written word, but he was preparing the world for the incarnate word, the coming of his Son. Now, God was working. He was preparing the world through education as people learned to speak Greek and read Greek. He was preparing the world through unification. The Roman Empire rose out of the turmoil and the entire 
world of the Mediterranean area was under Rome's domination. He was preparing the world through transportation. There never was a road system like that which Rome constructed. Only in the last century have we had anything close to the kind of transportation system that they had in Rome. Now, all of this was happening, but guess who was in the details? God himself. God's silence is not God's absence. When we think God is not present globally, guess what? He's very present. When God, we think God has forsaken our nation, I want to tell you something. God is alive and well, and He's working in our nation. But most importantly, God's silence is not God's absence in our lives personally. Zacharias, his name means God remembers. God had not forgotten Zacharias. He had not forgotten Elizabeth. He had seen their dutiful devotion and service throughout the years. God had not forgotten them. God had not forgotten the desire of their heart. For years and years and years, they had prayed for a child. Maybe reached the point, and in their advanced years, <laughs> that they perhaps couldn't even bring themselves to pray about it anymore because it had just, quite frankly, become a biological impossibility. That God remembered. He remembered their prayers. Now there's a message for perhaps some of us here today. And the message perhaps you need to hear from God today. And really the reason you're here is for the Holy Spirit to say to you this morning, you are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. Maybe you've been in a very silent time in your relationship with the Lord. It may be a long time since you think that you have heard His voice in a very clear way, but I want you to know you are not forgotten. God's silence is not His absence. Friends, it's true. Even when we think that God does not hear us, God is always near us, right? What did he say? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God's silence is not his absence. But you know, why does God go silent? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever experienced it? Quite frankly, people who tell me they've heard from God every day of their life, they make me a little nervous. If I were you, if someone said that, I wouldn't buy a used car from them. Because a person, I'll tell you, a whopper like that will do anything. Sometimes God goes silent. And I know what that feels like. I've experienced it myself for extended periods of time. 
What is God doing when he goes silent? Oh, God is even gracious when he's silent. You know, God is always gracious. And God is sometimes so gracious when he is silent because when he is silent and we're not hearing him, we're not sensing him, what does that require of us? Greater what? Faith. Our faith is strengthened when we don't sense Him, when we don't feel His presence, when we don't hear His voice. Yet we know more than we are standing on this earth that God is alive and He's our Savior. And our faith is being strengthened. How could our faith be strengthened if we always felt God's presence? God sometimes withdraws that sense of his closeness for a gracious purpose that we will pursue him even though we don't see him, even though we don't feel him, yet we pursue him. And it's in the literal stretching out of our faith and the walking what we don't feel that we're becoming stronger. Our growth And sometimes God is preparing us. You see, if you've never experienced silence, if you've never experienced what feels like abandonment from God, how are you going to minister to people who are feeling that way? Who are sensing that? You see, it's when God is silent that He is graciously silent. His silence is not his absence. So that's a lesson that we learn here. There's 400 years of silence here. And here is a man and a woman praying and praying and praying year after year after year. And in regard to their request, God is silent. Here's a second lesson I want you to see from this story. God's eternal plans are being accomplished in everyday living. God's eternal plans are being accomplished in everyday living. This chapter, this story, is about the coming of Messiah. It is about the coming of His messenger. It is about the fulfillment of what God had promised 400 years ago. The last promise in the Old Testament is this. I am sending my anointed one. He is coming. And before he comes, I'm sending someone to come before him who will proclaim his coming in the power of Elijah. That's the last promise of the Old Testament. And here, that promise is being fulfilled. The messenger is about to be born And the Messiah, the Son of God, is about to be born. And God is fulfilling this eternal plan of redemption in the most ordinary circumstances you could ever imagine. Earth-shaking things, eternity-changing things are happening. And what's going on? There's an elderly couple serving God. 
He's, he's faithful at his work in the temple. Trying to be faithful as a priest year after year after year. His wife serving along with him, serving in their house, serving. He serves in the, in the house of God day in, day out. The elderly couple, and this elderly couple has no clue that God in their everyday life is working out his eternal plan. While this is happening, there's a carpenter 80 miles north. He's busy in his shop making chairs, plows, other objects. And he's just a little nervous about his upcoming wedding. Just a carpenter in a village of about 300 people has no clue that while he is just working there in his shop, he is part of God's eternal plan. And there's a teenage girl helping her parents, dreaming about her wedding. Being married to the man who's in her heart, waiting, just a teenage girl, very humble, backwater town. But this elderly couple near Jerusalem, this carpenter in Nazareth, and this teenage girl are part of God's eternal plan and it's all happening in their everyday life. Which one of these people do you think thought for a moment that he or she was a part of God's eternal redemption plan? Do you think Zacharias that the guy with the creaky knees as he made his way into the temple thought he was part of God's eternal plan. Do you think Elizabeth back home as she's kneading the bread, baking the bread, she thinks, she thinks she's part of something spectacular? Do you think that the carpenter or the teenage girl have any clue whatsoever that they are part of something bigger than the universe? See, there is a life-changing truth that I want to all of us to hear this morning. Listen carefully what I'm about to say. It is impossible to serve the Lord and live an ordinary life. Did you get that? It is impossible to serve the Lord and live an ordinary life. Because it does not matter what you might be doing in your occupation. It doesn't matter what you might be doing in just the rhythm of your life that is so ordinary. If in the rhythm of your life you are serving God, your life is extraordinary. Friends, your life is a sacrament. What did Paul say? Present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. Your life is a sacrament. 
You are made in the image of God. You're made in His image. You are His image bearer. You reflect His glory. You are His ambassador. You make Him known. You are on mission with Him and you are His missionary. Does that sound ordinary to you? See, folks, we have to go back to the big truths of the Bible. What I've just told you is not a pep talk to make you feel better. It is the living truth of God who cannot lie. Your life is not ordinary if you serve God. Because God has determined that He will take the ordinary and He weaves it into the extraordinary plan of His great redemption. And all of us have a part. All of us. We may think it's insignificant, but it's not insignificant to God. Now, friend, that's His truth. And what you have to do is say, Lord, let that truth grip me. Let this truth grip me. That with you, what I think about myself, that is ordinary. <laughs> yes, but because of you, you are doing something extraordinary in my life. And I'm part of something so much bigger than I could ever imagine. Now, here is the danger, though, as we read this story. Here's the danger that needs our attention. And for some here, perhaps today, this needs to be addressed today. Because what I've just said is true. God's silence is not God's absence. And that to serve the Lord is to live an extraordinary life, that's true, but here could be the problem, and it's the problem in Zacharias's life. Here it is. God's devoted servants can serve in unbelief. God's devoted servants can serve in unbelief like Zacharias, a devoted man of God. But at this time, what is revealed, he is serving with some deeply rooted unbelief. Here's how it's manifested. Chapter 1, look at verse 18. You've already heard the reading of the text where he is told that he is going to be the father of this great prophet who will come in the power of Elijah and, and be the forerunner for the Messiah. And verse 18... Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. That didn't make the angel too happy. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Only two angels named in the Bible. Michael, who is the angel who seems to be the leader of God's angelic forces. And Gabriel, who is the messenger angel, who delivers God's message, especially the message about redemption. He said, I am Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I'm Gabriel. I got this from God in his presence. I've been sent to give you this wonderful news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not what? Believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. He was supposed to come back out. No one was going to hang around just inside Outside of the Holy of Holies. They, they, they saw the smoke of the incense going up. But where is he? He came out. He was unable to speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs. And remained mute. And when his time of service was ended. He went to his home. Now. Let's be honest, we can understand, can't we? We can understand Zachariah's struggle. He's shuffling around in the temple to carry out this sacred duty. He's feeling weakness as he's being told that he's going to be a father. His wife will bear a son. We can, we can identify, but there is something much more dangerous involved here. And if we just give Zacharias a pass, in reality is what we're doing is giving ourselves a pass too. Because Zacharias was not asking. He was not asking how this could happen. How could this happen? That's what Mary would respond to Gabriel just a few months later. How, how can this happen since I don't know a man? I've, I've never had intimate relations with a man. How can this be? That, that's not what Zacharias is saying. He doesn't have that spirit. Zacharias was disbelieving that this could happen. It, it's not just doubt. It's disbelief. It's active unbelief that this will happen. You notice what he wanted? He wanted something of greater assurance than the Word of God. I'm Gabriel. I received this message from God. I have come to give you this inspired message. What I have told you is the Word of God. Got anything else? <laughs> Wow. The word of God is not enough for this priest. And that explains Gabriel's rebuke. It explains God's actions. He's dealing with this man's disbelief. Now, this morning, let's be honest, aren't we... Thankful that God doesn't always act this way with disbelief? This would be a very quiet service this morning. Yeah. But my friends, listen. Let's not get our, give ourselves a pass. 
disbelief just because it's not always judged by God the way he judged the disbelief of Zacharias. Disbelief is just as serious wherever it's found. When the word of God is not enough. Now there's a warning for us here that I'd like us to think about. There's a warning for us. The warning is this. Don't limit through unbelief the unlimited grace of God. Don't limit through unbelief the unlimited grace of God. And in one sense, we can never limit God in any way. He is absolutely sovereign. I understand that. But in our personal experience of God, in our personal experience of His reality in our life, yes, we can limit God and our experience of Him By limiting his amazing grace, God can do anything, friends. And he can do more in a moment than you or me can do in a lifetime. Don't limit through unbelief the unlimited grace of God. Don't put God in a box. Don't put God in a box. Don't allow the devil in any way or your own doubts to limit awesome, holy, active, powerful God Almighty. Don't verbalize unbelief. Don't verbalize unbelief. You don't help yourself and you don't help anybody else. Don't verbalize disbelief. Yes, this is my 31st anniversary this Sunday. And I tell you, I wish I could say I've always been a man of faith. I have not. But I want to tell you, I have been blessed to see God do some incredible things. And I have been blessed to see some people say some things of doubt that they came back to wish they hadn't said. And I'm so grateful the Lord let me hear some of it like 30 years ago. We were meeting this little World's Fair back, building back here. And God, God began to add people to the church. It, it was the craziest thing you've ever seen. Uh, we didn't even have a parking lot. We just parked on grass. Had a little asphalt area there coming into the World's Fair building. You know how we did Awana? We had an Awana circle, and we had to get cars to turn their headlights on to have Awana. Can you believe that? And people started to come. God started to move. Our church started to grow. Until God, we were in two services in that little building. And I remember in the day I said, we got to do something. <laughs> the building was so little, the choir was down front. The first two rows on my right were the choir. We didn't even have a choir loft at all. And one day, two guests got seated in the choir. <laughs> and they didn't know. <laughs> the choir stood up, and they're going like, what? <laughs> they're in the choir. And I'm going, you know, we got to fix this. Mm-mm. It was hilarious. So we started praying and thinking about building a building. And I remember a man, one of the dear men of the church, after one service, and we'd been talking about it, he said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, I'm sorry, 
But I'll, I'll believe it when I see the footers of the foundations in the ground. That's when I'll believe it. I, 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 I'm sorry. It's been so much mess, so much disappointment over the years. I'll believe it when I see the footers of the foundation in the ground. Well, about four months later, <laughs> I took him by the arm. <laughs> we walked over in here someplace. And I said to him, aren't those the most beautiful footers you've ever seen in your life? He said, I'm sorry, Pastor. I'm sorry. Don't verbalize your unbelief. Don't proclaim your doubts. You know, if you can't proclaim faith, excuse me, just be quiet. <laughs> Zip your mouth. Don't proclaim your doubts. But rather than proclaim your doubts, Plead for the Lord to give you faith. What was it that the father of that little boy so racked with demonic strongholds in his body that he'd throw himself in the fire? He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus asked him, Do you believe I'm able to do this? Do you remember this? What did that father say? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When's the last time you prayed about your doubts and prayed that the Lord would give you faith? Thank God. You know what? He's greater than our doubts. He's greater than our doubts. Here's a fourth lesson I want you to see quickly. God's steadfast devotion is greater than our struggling doubt. Yes, we may struggle with doubts, but guess what? God's greater than our doubts. And he is steadfast to overcome even doubts with expression of his devotion. Look at verse 57. This man did not have great faith. God met with him. In verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown mercy, great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquire what he wanted to be called. And he asked them to bring him a writing tablet. His name is John. His name is John. You know what John means? God's gift. God's gift. God gifted this man, even though his name meant God remembers Zacharias. He was living as a man who had forgotten. But God's devotion to him and his wife was greater than his doubts. Now, Zacharias proved he was a wise man. We could say, first of all, because he agreed with his wife. That was a wise thing right there. Brilliant. All right. But he was wise because he agreed with 
God. No, his name will not be Zacharias. His name is what God has named him. He is, his name is John. He will be the one to say, Behold, the Lamb of God, the gift of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He wrote God's promise, and then he spoke God's promise. You just got to, after he wrote it, can't you just see it? His name is John. It's John. And he was just proclaiming God's miraculous power. Was he a man of perfect faith? No, he had proven he wasn't a man of perfect faith, but God had interrupted his imperfect faith and his doubting and even his disbelief. And the lesson that we have here from this, friends, is that our struggles with doubt do not stop the power of God. It's okay if you have just a little faith. As long as your little faith is in a big God. Right? It's not the size of your faith that moves the mountains. That can be like a grain of mustard seed. It's not the size of your faith. It's the size of your God that determines your faith. The reason some of us have such little faith is because our God is so small. And he's not small, but he's small in our mind. Some of you actually believe that he might be, on a good day, just a little stronger than the devil. My friend, God is the all-powerful, eternal, only true God. The only God that exists is our God. And there is no other. Have little faith. But have a little faith in a big God. And you find him here in this book. The last thing I just share with you, and then we're going to respond to the Lord. This is the incredible moment to me. God's Spirit can transform doubters of God of good news into declarers of good news. What was it that Gabriel brought to Zacharias? Good news. I have brought you good news. He doubted. But by the time God got finished with him, this doubter of the good news had become the declarer of the good news. Wow, he was silent for about nine months, but when he started talking, you couldn't shut him up. What a change. He lost his voice, but then when he gained it, God gave it back to him. He couldn't stop singing. He came through this time of silence. He came through this time of disbelief. He came through this time of doubt, and God had met him, and now... He couldn't stop singing because it's a song beginning at verse 67. It's a song. It's, it's known as Benedictus. Benedictus. Because it means blessed. 
That's the first word. His father was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed Benedictus, be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The, the Lion of Judah is coming. He's a Levite. He's the tribe of Levite. But he's singing praises about David's greater son who's coming. And he spoke as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show us the mercy, to show us the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. <laughs> That's quite a song, right? I mean, nine months when he got his chance, he went for it, right? I mean, it became a hit all over Israel. He's proclaiming the good news, the good news of God's salvation. He, he had lost his voice, but now he's singing. Guess what? Now he's not practicing his religion. Just practicing religion. He's proclaiming his Redeemer. Which are you doing today? And what makes the difference? This is what makes the difference. Verse 67. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a vessel of the Holy Spirit. Oh, he's just ordinary. But he's extraordinary because he's a vessel for the Spirit of God. Jesus said, which one of you, if one of your children asked him for bread, you would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a piece of fish, you'd give him a serpent. If you being evil, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children and your grandchildren, Christmas time, think about it. If we, even though we know we're evil apart from the Lord, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more, listen to what Jesus said, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. When's the last time you asked the Lord to fill you with his spirit? You have his spirit. 
His Spirit is resident in your life because if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Him. Every Christian has the Spirit of God. But friend, the difference in that and being filled with the Spirit is that when you are a believer, you have the Spirit as resident in your life. But when you are filled with the Spirit, He is president in your life. 